Good evening again, everyone. Glad we can see each other tonight and gather together and worship together this evening. Last week, we spent some time looking at the last chapter of the book of Romans and thinking about Paul's concluding remarks to the churches there in Rome. Tonight, wanted to look at Paul's concluding remarks that we have to the church in Corinth. Now this is at the end, not at the end of 1 Corinthians, but at the end of 2 Corinthians. So if you will, open with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 13. And we're going to look at what Paul has to say to this congregation. In many ways, there are some similarities between this and last week. But really, there's a lot of differences between the end of this letter and the end of what he told the churches in Rome. Paul's relationship with the church at Corinth was... A complicated one, to say the least. He lived among them, and he had taught among them. Acts 18.11 tells us he'd been there for a year and a half with them, which for Paul was a very long time. Most of the time, Paul was somewhere a few weeks, a few months, and then he would move to another city. So to stay in Corinth for a year and a half, that's a long time for Paul to be in one place. So he had known, he got to know these people very well. He had been there for a year and a half. And when Paul wrote 1 Corinthians, there was a lot of problems going on in the congregation. There were divisions. There were problems with, with marriage. There was problems with sin. They were taking each other to court and suing each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. They had misunderstandings about the resurrection and, and misunderstandings about the Lord's Supper. A lot of problems in that congregation. And some in Corinth were even somewhat hostile toward Paul himself. Now in 2 Corinthians, that really kind of jumps out. There's a lot of folks who I think after he wrote 1 Corinthians, you get into 2 Corinthians and it seems that they have started correcting many of those issues. And many of those brethren really care for Paul and they're really trying to correct things. And you see that sprinkled throughout the letter of 2 Corinthians. However, there are still some, as we go through the book of 2 Corinthians, that Paul continues to address who are practically ignoring him as an apostle. And they're also sort of challenging whether or not he really is an apostle of Jesus Christ. Uh, they, they would talk about how maybe he doesn't, you know, maybe his physical presence, maybe someone like Peter was a much more commanding individual, a much more commanding personality. And Paul, what we know about him, he seems to be very different from a, a very strong personality like Peter. Peter likely someone who you knew when Peter walked into a room. Paul was probably very different than that. And it seems maybe because of something like that, maybe because Paul's not as great of a speaker as someone like Apollos, they were wondering, are you really an apostle, Paul? And despite all that, Paul loved these brethren despite the challenges they faced. And as 2 Corinthians closes, in 2 Corinthians 13, we notice his love for this church while also how strongly he's addressing those who are refusing to do what they should do. So the first six verses of chapter 13 really ends with a command to examine yourselves. Examine yourselves. 2 Corinthians 13, 1 through 6. 
Paul says, this will be the third time I am coming to you. By the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word shall be established. I'm coming to you again. There have been times in the past where Paul had made plans to come to them, to see them. But because of maybe something that had come up, he hadn't been able to make it like he wanted to. That was something that they accused Paul of. You couldn't trust what Paul says. He tells us he's coming, and then he doesn't show up. Paul says, I am coming. I am making plans to come to you yet again. I have told you before and foretell as if I were present the second time. Now being absent, I write to those who have sinned before and to all the rest that if I come again, I will not spare. Since you seek a proof of Christ speaking in me, who is not weak towards you, but mighty in you, For though he was crucified in weakness, yet he lives by the power of God. For we also are weak in him, but we shall live with him by the power of God toward you. Examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you are disqualified. But I trust that you will know that we are not disqualified. The first four verses, Paul is addressing those folks who still, after everything they had seen, after all that time he had spent, he had written the letter of 1 Corinthians, he's written this letter, and they were still challenging his authority as an apostle. And what that meant, why that was so serious, is he's an apostle of Jesus Christ, so to challenge his authority as an apostle is really challenging God's authority. It's challenging Christ himself. And as we found out, and I think maybe this is a little bit perhaps what Paul is hinting at, we find out in Acts chapter 5 to challenge God and to challenge the apostles of Jesus Christ was a very dangerous thing to do. In Acts chapter 5, perhaps you're familiar with the the story of Ananias and Sapphira and how that turned out. Uh, They lied. They sold part of the property. They could have given as much as they wanted to to the Lord. They decided they would give part of it, but claimed they were giving it all. And they bring it to the apostles, and Peter said, Ananias, Acts 5 verse 3, Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? While it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. And Ananias hears these words. He falls down and he dies. He's taken out and he's buried. Later, about three hours later, his wife, Sapphira, comes in. She doesn't know what's happened. And so Peter asked her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. Is this what you sold the land for? And she said, yes, for so much. Then Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together, together with her husband, to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out. She falls down and she dies and she's taken out and she's buried. The point of that is, is what was happening and why that was dealt with so severely. It's more than that they lied. It's that they were challenging God 
And the, they were challenging the apostles. And Paul is writing to the church at Corinth now, and he is saying, look, it is not, perhaps they would remember what had happened to Ananias and Sapphira having been recorded in Acts. It is not a light thing to challenge the authority of an apostle. And Paul is warning them. Basically, he goes on to say, don't let me show up and that still be the case. Paul cared about these folks, and he knew there could perhaps be serious consequences coming from God if they continued down that path. He says then, verse 5 in 2 Corinthians 13, instead of testing God, they needed to test and to examine themselves to see whether or not they were still in the faith. Notice there in verse 5 how he emphasizes you, you and yourselves examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? What is Paul emphasizing to them? It is, he, he's telling them, look, y'all, you have got to examine yourself. The idea of examine and test yourself there is, it is instead of testing Paul and putting Paul on trial, he said they needed to test themselves and put themselves on trial, so to speak. Look at yourself, he said, and consider yourself. Some were apparently so consumed with, with closely examining the truth of, of Paul's apostleship that they had neglected to apply the truth to themselves. And Paul had told them, back in 1 Corinthians, of the, the truth of the problems that they were facing, and apparently some of those folks did not like it. Paul says something that is very similar to what he communicates in 2 Corinthians in Galatians 4.16 to the churches of Galatia. He tells them, also having to tell them some difficult things, he says, have I, become, have I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? There seems to have been a similar problem among some in Corinth. He loves this congregation, but there were some there who needed to look at themselves and examine themselves as to whether or not, Paul said, they were still in the faith or not. Really then what's implied, and we've talked about this some in class in the past, is he's saying, look, you need to look at yourself because it's possible that you are no longer in the faith, that you have fallen from God, that you have, sometimes we say, fallen from grace. He says you've got to look at yourself and consider yourself because possibly for some of these folks that was the case. And if they never stopped to examine themselves, they would never realize that they had fallen away from God. Something that we need to do as Christians is to, on a regular basis, consider ourselves, examine ourselves. Uh, because if we, have, if we have veered off course and we don't ever take the time to do a, a self-examination comparing our life with the Word of God, how will we know if we have veered away from God? That's a, that's a very sobering thought. To know that it is possible. I think sometimes that we think, 
because I know I think this way sometimes, and I, maybe this is common. I think sometimes we think that, you know, oh, I'll be able to tell if I veer away from God and I walk away from God. You know, it'll be obvious. I'll, I will at least know when I've done that. And from what we read here in Scripture, what Paul is telling them is saying, you need to examine yourselves because it is possible if we're not examining ourselves that we have walked away from God and we don't even realize it. And so, then examine yourself. Consider yourself where you are or where you aren't. And then, as we'll find out here, make the necessary corrections. So he urges them to examine themselves. <clears throat> the second thing, in, in chapter 13, verse 7 and verse 8, really sort of a question appears, or at least we'll ask a question here. Are you for or against the truth? He says, now I pray to God that you do no evil, not that we should appear approved, but that you should do what is honorable though we may seem disqualified. For we can do nothing against the truth, but for the truth. Paul urges the Christians here in Corinth to do what's right. Maybe even if, if they maybe have their doubts somewhat about him as, as an apostle. Paul is saying, you need to do what is right. Paul then goes on to say, really then to shore up that maybe any doubts they had about him, he could do nothing against the truth, but only for it. It's as if he's saying, look, even if you have your doubts about me, know that I am firmly, firmly for the truth, and I desire the same for you. I'm for the truth, and I want you to be for the truth as well. And so the question for us is, as we think about that, is are we for or against the truth? There's no middle ground between these two. Either we are for or we are against, opposed to the truth. And once again, sometimes I think, you know, we, we think that, at least maybe I do as well and you do this sometimes perhaps, is think, you know, well, just I'm going to be, whatever the truth is, that's what I'm going to be for. What if the truth is not what we thought it would be. What if the truth turns out to be perhaps maybe what that's going to mean about maybe how we have to change our life or how this situation needs to change? What if that's rather unpleasant? Sometimes the truth means difficult changes have to take place. Sometimes the truth means we may have to totally change an area of our life. The truth, being for the truth is great, but we have to be for the truth and be, and be so uh, serious about the truth because it may mean that we have to change certain areas of our life that are hard to change. And he's writing to this church at Corinth, remember, who had all these problems, all these things that they needed to change, that they needed to correct. And he's asking them, if you will, here at the end of it all, are you going to be for or against the truth? Something for us to think about. And then he ends this chapter, chapter 13, verse 9 through 14, 
with a command and also sort of encouragement to. It's a command and it's, he's encouraging them to become complete. He says, for we are glad when we are weak and you are strong. And this also we pray that you may be complete. His prayer is that they would be complete. Therefore, I write these things because he wants them to be complete. Because he says, being absent, lest being present, I should use sharpness according to the authority which the Lord has given me for edification and not for destruction. Finally, brethren, farewell. Become complete. Be of good comfort. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints greet you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion or the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And amen, he says. Paul prayed that they would be made complete and that he could use his authority as an apostle for encouragement, he says, and not destruction. I don't know exactly what would have happened if Paul showed up and he had to use his authority for destruction. I don't know exactly what that meant. Like I said, we saw what happened in Acts chapter 5. Maybe that's what would have happened. Maybe it would have been something different. I don't know. But I do know that Paul desperately wanted them to change so that when he showed up, he could show up and he could encourage them and build them up and strengthen them rather than having to use his authority as an apostle of Jesus to destroy and to tear down what was there that should not have been there. Desperately wanted them to be made and to become complete. And as he closes, he says it again. He commands them to become complete or to set things right or to aim for restoration. In other words, he's telling them become complete. There are some things that you need to set right in your life. There are some things in that congregation, he says, that you need to set right. You need to aim for restoration. In other words, they were not yet where they needed to be. And he is urging them, you've got to make these corrections. He tells them to be of good comfort, to be of one mind, to live in peace. He says, if you do this, the God of love and peace will be with you. He and all the Christians with him greeted them. And then he closes by mentioning each member of the Godhead. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And showing the, really thinking about that, the unity of God. I think showing the unity that they needed to have, which you go back to the beginning of 1 Corinthians, was one of the major problems that they had. They were so divided. And he ends the book of 2 Corinthians showing how God, while there are, you have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, he is united completely. I think emphasizing the unity they needed to have. Now, as Christians, we need to, as we've already talked about, we need to examine ourselves against the standard of God's word. If we find something out of place in our life, will we be for the truth or against it? If God's word says that there's something out of place in our life, something is amiss in our life, it's easy to be for the truth when 
maybe it doesn't directly apply to us or maybe when it doesn't ask anything too demanding of us. The challenge comes in, will we be for the truth when perhaps just as Paul was doing with the church in Corinth, when it points out things that are amiss in our life, whereas the church in Corinth, the entire congregation had some problems. That's when become, being for the truth becomes challenging. Will we make things right or will we ignore it? If there's something out of place in our lives, then we need to set things right. We need to become complete. As we close, I'd, I'd like to remind us of something that James wrote in James 1, verse 21 through 25. He says, Therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness, humility is the idea, the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forget what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. And really to sum up, I guess what Paul is really getting at in that final chapter in 2 Corinthians is that's it. He's telling them to examine themselves. Look into that mirror of the word of God, the perfect law of liberty. Look into the word of God which is able to save your souls. And realize that the word of God was showing there are changes that need to be made. Just as maybe we look into a mirror and see things sometimes that we need to correct ourselves. They were looking into the mirror of God's word and Paul was showing them by inspiration. These are things that need to be set right. These are things that are out of place that need to be put right again. And the challenge for them was that was the truth. Were they going to be for it or against it? And so for us, as we look into the, the mirror of God's word, if you will, the perfect law of liberty, the word of God which is able to save our souls, and, and as we find things that we need to correct, will we be for the truth, or will we, in those moments when it becomes a little bit more personal and a little bit more challenging, will we be against it? I hope that all of us here, as we look into the the mirror of God's word, if you will, that we will realize things in our life that we need to change and we will be for the truth and we will make those changes in our life. Tonight, if you are a child of God and you realize, perhaps through some things we've studied in Bible class or maybe things we've, we've heard in studying in the sermons or maybe just something you've read on your own, you realize that something in your life is out of place. It's amiss. God has pointed out through his word something in your life, a sin in your life that ought not be there. Whether it's something that's public or private, are you going to be for the truth or against it? Will you make that right or not? We're here to pray with you and for you. If it's something that you want us to pray with you about, we will strengthen you. We will encourage you to keep fighting the good fight. If you're not a Christian, then in looking into the, the mirror of the word of God, what it teaches us is that all have sinned 
all accountable individuals. We've all sinned. We have fallen short of the glory of God. And so what we need, we need to be cleansed of our sin. We need to have our sins washed away. And looking into the word of God, the only thing that can do that is the blood of Jesus Christ. And the way we contact his blood, have our sins washed away, is believing him to be the son of God, repenting of those sins, confessing him as Christ, being buried with him then in baptism, where we contact his blood, and his blood washes away our sins. This evening, if you need to respond, won't you come as we stand and as we sing?